Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and this evening I've been asked to talk about some of the latest advances for the treatment of low vision. Now, as we all know, this is really a time in our lives that there is more technology, more advances in medicine and science than ever before. We're at a point where we know that people are able to survive very, very difficult diseases, including cancer. We have seen situations where people who were once blind have been able to regain vision. And we're also seeing some amazing things that are happening in the field of technology. So tonight, I'm going to share with you some of the latest advances can help people with low vision. And we will also talk about some of the latest developments in tools and visual aids that could help us. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is just to basically understand the process of vision. Vision is really a very, very complex process. I know that many people often state that vision is just like looking through a camera, but in reality it is much more complicated. The reason that it is so complicated that the structures inside the eye contain millions and millions of cells and millions and millions of nerves. And each of these little cells and nerves, they need to go to the correct location in order for vision to occur. Eventually, the light rays from a picture or a person we look at, it will focus on the inside of the eye called the retina. The retina is made up of millions and millions of cells, and these cells are able to absorb the light from what it is that we see, and it will make an electrical signal that is sent down this fiber, and that is then sent through the optic nerve. The optic nerve is the accumulation of millions of fibers that go from the eyes, and they end up on the very back side of your head in the occipital lobe of the brain. From there, the occipital of the brain is able to process those electrical signals and create a picture of it. But the brain is also involved in many, many more ways than just receiving the signal. The brain is involved in processing what we see so that we could decode words and convert those letters into words that we could understand. And it's able to take the information from a map or a diagram and we could convert that into an image that we could understand. So it's very, very complex. And in fact, two-thirds of the brain is involved in the process of vision. So when people say, can't they just simply remove my eye and give me another eye and I would be able to see? Well, the reason that that's not possible is because the surgeons would have to connect millions and millions of fibers to the specific corresponding fiber that goes to the brain. And that is something that is just physically impossible to do. If the eyes were a little bit more simple, like cable TV, we could have a plug and plug it into the television and that would be the end of it. But because there's millions and millions of fibers, it becomes more and more difficult. But with the advances that are being performed in universities and research centers throughout the world, we are able to understand what are some of the developments that are happening with respect to vision. I'm going to talk about something that you should know about because you may study this at one point in time, and these are called clinical trials. In the United States, a clinical trial is a particular type of research study 
that is going to determine whether or not this treatment or this surgery or this device is something that is going to be effective in helping to restore or to regain or to slow down the progression of vision loss. And it's very, very important that you understand that these clinical trials are very, very different. In other words, you may hear that there's a clinical trial that's going to help you if you have macular degeneration. But that clinical trial is only for people with macular degeneration, and it is not for another person who may have glaucoma. When you look at these clinical trials, it's important to understand that there are actually three phases to the clinical trial. The very first phase is to only determine if this treatment or this procedure is safe. They are not trying to determine if this procedure or this treatment improves vision or not. And it's very important to understand that because I have had patients of mine who have volunteered and signed up for clinical trials, and when they brought me the paper and things to see, I realized that they were in the phase one clinical trial. And what that means is that their willingness to volunteer is very helpful because it determines if this is safe. But that particular research is not intended to improve a person's vision whatsoever. When it comes to a phase two clinical trial, they are then using this treatment or surgery or medication to see whether or not it does, in fact, improve vision. So in a phase two clinical trial, this is a type of clinical trial that there may be a benefit to you. It may slow down the progression of your vision loss. It may actually improve your vision. But the thing that many clinical trials do not tell you is that it does not tell you whether or not you are going to be one of the people that is going to receive the dosage of that medication or treatment that is expected to improve vision or if you're going to be somewhat of a control group. The other thing is that there are some clinical trials that are called double-blind studies where neither you nor the person who is your researcher or your doctor, neither of you would really know whether or not you have received the correct dosage or just a trial dosage. So this also becomes very disappointing for many patients because they say, I wanted to volunteer because I'd like to get my vision to be better. But in fact, this was one that it does not even tell you whether or not you will receive a dosage that they anticipate to improve vision, and you may just simply have the control group. And then the third phase is that if they find that the drug, number one, is safe, number two, that it does have some benefits, then in phase three, they often will add other particular types of treatments. They might add something in addition to it. It might be another enzyme. It could be a vitamin. It could be another medication. And they want to then determine if by adding this additional treatment, does this actually improve vision even further? So it's important that you understand this basis of the clinical trials. You want to find out what phase of the study that you may be volunteering for, and you want to find out whether or not there's a possibility that you are actually getting the treatment that we anticipate would improve vision. But before you sign on those contracts, it's also very important for you to understand that in some clinical trials, if you volunteer to cooperate and participate in one clinical trial, it may prevent you from participating in other clinical trials 
So let's give an example of this. You know, it was years ago, years ago, that they were studying the benefits of using sunglasses and filtering the ultraviolet radiation from the sun. Does this have any effect on keeping the retinas healthier? Now, it is possible. I haven't looked at any of those documents, but this is just hypothetical. Let's say that you stated you would like to try this particular research. I want to wear these special glasses that will filter out the ultraviolet radiation. But it's also very possible that if you signed up for that research study, there may be something in that contract that states if you participate in this clinical trial, you are not allowed to participate in future clinical trials. So today, there's many clinical trials that are being performed using stem cells and gene therapy and vitamin therapy. And the fact that you volunteered for the ultraviolet study, you no longer can participate in any of these new studies. So I also want you to look at those contracts carefully to see if it does prevent you from participating in other types of trials. So what are some of the more significant findings of these types of clinical trials that have gone on over the past decade or so? Well, the first one that I think is very significant relates to anybody who has a retinal disease. If you do have macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, diabetic retinopathy, any kind of disease to the retina, the studies that evaluated whether or not ultraviolet light can damage the retina, it did find that the ultraviolet radiation, it does damage the retina. In addition, it did determine that ultraviolet radiation causes cataracts to form sooner. So, from that particular clinical trial, we learned that it is very important if you are going to be outdoors, you do need to use glasses that have ultraviolet protection. One of the things that's really very beneficial now is that there are advances in the types of lenses that glasses are made of. One of the materials that's very popular now is called polycarbonate. And polycarbonate is a really amazing type of lens material because, number one, it is one of the strongest lens materials so that if a rock happens to fly up from a car that's passing by on the street, the glasses will protect your eye. And that glass lens made of the polycarbonate, it will not shatter. Number two... All the polycarbonate lenses, they do filter the ultraviolet radiation. Number three, polycarbonate lenses are thinner and lighter in weight. So all people who get glasses made out of polycarbonate, they're really very, very happy with the way their glasses look because their glasses look so thin. And number four, polycarbonate is available in all the different types of designs. So if you wear a bifocal, or maybe you don't want a bifocal to be seen in your glasses, there are the no-line progressive bifocals. There are even the types of lenses that convert into a sunglass when you're outdoors. These are called the photochromic transitions lenses. These are all available in the polycarbonate. So what we learned from that particular study, number one, the ultraviolet clinical trial, is that you should be wearing glasses made out of polycarbonate lenses or something that does filter out the ultraviolet radiation. So the next thing is they took this research study a little bit further, and we know that light is available in different colors. So we have violet we have blue, we have green light, we have yellow, orange, and red. 
And we know that there's a different level of energy in each of these colors of light. And that the violet and the blue light has the greatest amount of energy. So in another clinical trial, they studied whether or not this type of violet and blue light could damage the retinas of the eyes. And they did find that that type of violet and blue light is also dangerous. So now, when we have patients who do have macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, albinism, other types of retinal conditions, retinitis pigmentosa, we now recommend that they have glasses that are going to filter out the ultraviolet, but also the violet and the blue wavelengths of light. So what does this mean for any of you who are looking for glasses? Is that if you wear sunglasses, you want your glasses to be a brown color when you go outdoors in the direct sunlight. The significance of the brown is that the brown colored lens, it will block out the violet and the blue light. So this is going to give you that maximum type of protection. So I know you're probably wondering, can I get a lens made out of polycarbonate thin protective material that will be clear inside and turn brown outdoors? And the answer to that is yes, you can. So this is something that's really, really amazing that we do have lenses in these particular types of colors. Other colored lenses that will filter out the violet and the blue light include orange and yellow. So the orange and yellow will also filter out some of this type of dangerous light. Now, for many people, the orange or the yellow, they may not be quite dark enough for some people when they're in the direct sunlight, but they want to protect their eyes from this kind of radiation when they're inside their office building. You know, many of you might go to work, and in your office there's four-foot fluorescent tubes in your office. Well, these lights are some of the most dangerous lights that are available because they have so much ultraviolet, violet, and blue light. So this is why people will often wear the yellow or the orange lenses when they're indoors and working on their computer. Now, other clinical trials that were available wanted to study the benefits of taking vitamin therapy if you have specific types of retinal conditions. One of the largest studies was performed to evaluate whether or not a combination of vitamins that they called a vitamin cocktail, that would it help those people who have macular degeneration? Now, macular degeneration is the leading cause of legal blindness. It's the number one cause of legal blindness in the United States for adults over the age of 60 years. And what this disease does is that it damages the very central region of the retina. When we look inside the eye and we look at your retina as eye doctors, the retina looks very similar to a dartboard, meaning that the very center bullseye is the area that we call the macula. And the macula has the highest concentration of cone cells that allow you to see very small details to allow you to read, and it also gives you your color vision. Well, with macular degeneration, those cone cells, they become damaged, and they cannot send information to the brain. In macular degeneration, there's actually two different forms of macular degeneration. One form is called dry macular degeneration. And what's really interesting about this particular form is that the basement or the foundation that the retina sits on 
this layer is called the retinal pigment epithelium. We call that RPE for short. And the RPE, for some unknown reason, it dies. And we do no longer have that particular layer called the RPE. When the RPE is not there, a lot of the metabolic processes that take place within the cone cells, it cannot discard of that waste properly. And also, without the RPE there, we cannot get blood supply and nutrients for those cone cells in the macula. So as a result, when the RPE is damaged, we can't get rid of the waste and we can't bring in more nutrients. And these people lose their central vision and they can no longer see clear enough to drive or to read or to recognize faces. Now, a second particular type of treatment, excuse me, form of macular degeneration is called wet macular degeneration. And in this particular form, the blood vessels, they come inside the macula and they bleed. And all the blood and the scar tissue that develops from the blood in the macula, it causes the cone cells to die and the vision is very, very weak. So for many years, scientists have wondered, you know, what could we do? This is the leading cause of vision impairment in the world among older adults. And they then did studies to determine, are these glasses that we talked about, are they helpful for people with macular degeneration? And the studies, number one, did find that by blocking out the ultraviolet and the violet and the blue light, it is helpful for people who have macular degeneration. Number two, they then looked at if the cells are not getting the normal supplements, the normal vitamins, what if we have these people take these vitamin cocktails and will this help those cells? And it was found in a very long-term clinical trial that that particular type of vitamin therapy, it did slow down the progression of macular degeneration by over 25% in people who had moderate to severe macular degeneration. So this particular finding was very, very encouraging because now we have two things that could slow down the loss of vision. We have glasses and we have the vitamins. So your retina specialist will be able to give you a prescription for a particular type of vitamin that is going to be very helpful if you do have macular degeneration. I have also spoken to other types of retina specialists and asked, well, if this particular type of vitamin therapy is helpful for macular degeneration, do you ever recommend this for people who have other types of retinal diseases? And they said, yes. Most of them will recommend those types of other vitamins for people who have other types of retinal conditions. So what this means is that for people who have retinitis pigmentosa, this usually affects the vision beginning at childhood. These kids are blind at night. They have tunnel vision. You know, they can't ride bikes and play sports because they don't have enough side vision to see where they're going. Usually by the time that they're in their early 20s, they're almost totally blind. But we now know that ophthalmologists are prescribing vitamin therapy for them. In addition, there have been other clinical trials that have found that other supplements are also very, very helpful for people who have retinal conditions. One of the supplements is called lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N, and lutein is something that's found in dark, leafy vegetables. And they have also studied that there are many benefits to the omega-3 fatty oils. 
And this is what's found in eating fish. So for many people who have these types of retinal conditions, many ophthalmologists recommend that you take these types of vitamin supplements and wear those sunglasses. And they say, if you are a person who does eat fish once or twice a week, along with a lot of dark green and leafy vegetables, that it is very, very helpful. But if you do not, if you do not like fish and you don't like dark green and leafy vegetables, there are different vitamin combinations that they could recommend to you. And this is a way that you could protect your retinas. So this is something that's really very, very, very exciting. Now you might ask a question, well, what kind of vitamins are these? Are these huge pills that are like, you know, the size of a silver dollar? No, these are not. And these are not certain things that you have to get a big can and pour it into water. It's just one pill. It's a regular vitamin, and I don't feel that they have any type of bad aftertaste or anything like that. It's very easy for for anyone to take that. But again, for your specific eye condition, uh, I suggest that you just ask your ophthalmologist, and they will give you a probably samples, and then they will give you a, a prescription so that you could take it to your pharmacist. Now, many of these vitamins may be certain things that you already have heard about. Uh, one of the first brands that came out was the Ocuvite. That's spelled O-C-U-V-I-T-E. And another one is called Preservision. And Preservision is something that's over-the-counter. It's available at your local drugstore. So many of them, you won't even need to go to see the pharmacist. And the price of these are, are very, very affordable. Now, what are some of the other uh, types of clinical trials that have been showing some very promising types of results? Diabetic retinopathy. This is the leading cause of legal blindness among adults 45 years and older. And what happens with people who have diabetes is that they often develop a high level of sugar in their blood, and the blood vessels of the retina, they begin to bleed and they leak. So these are called hemorrhages in the retina. Now, when you have this blood that's leaking in the retina, it damages the cells, and as a result, those cells cannot see as well. Or if this hemorrhage continues for a long time, those cells will die. And that's when a person with diabetes may have blind spots. Now, for many people who do have diabetes, many times they're not even aware that they have these blind spots because, number one, the blind spots start off as something very small. And number two, because we have two eyes, the other eye often will take over for the region that the other eye has a blind spot. You know, it's really amazing. I have seen countless numbers of patients that will come in and I will measure their vision of the right eye and the right eye, it sees perfect, 20-20 on the eye chart. And then I cover their right eye. Okay, let's see what you could redo with the left eye. And they say, oh, my God, I can't see anything on the chart. And they blink a few times, and they rub their eyes. They go, I can't see a thing. It is so dramatic that this vision loss occurred over a period of months and they never noticed it because of the fact that the good eye was doing all the seeing and the brain learned to ignore the bad eye. If you do have diabetes, we do want you to check your vision. Just cover your left eye, then cover your right eye. 
to make certain that things look very, very similar. Number two, the clinical trials found that there are laser treatments, and this is a specialized type of beam of energy called a laser where the ophthalmologist can locate where is the hemorrhage, and they could use this beam of light to stop the hemorrhage. And by stopping that bleeding at an early stage, it is something that can preserve the vision, and also it could improve a person's vision. So I have seen many people who do have diabetes, and they have come into my office, and they cannot see the letters on the chart. And I refer them to a retinal surgeon, and they perform the laser. And their vision returns to 2020. That person that I, I gave that example with, where they didn't even know that their other eye that was that poor, I referred them emergency to the Jules Stein Eye Institute at UCLA, and they did the laser. And one month later, she came back, and her vision was 2020. So in other words, if you do have a vision problem, such as diabetes, you can actually get very, very effective results if you take action very soon. But if you wait years and years, those cells will have starved and they'll, they'll be dead. And if those cells are dead, you will not regain that type of vision. Now, some of the other types of things that, that we know is happening with, with people who do have retinal conditions such as macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy when that layer of tissue that supports the rod and cone cells dies, when that RPE tissue dies, there is now clinical trials that are being done to replace that layer of tissue. So remember how I said is that in dry macular degeneration, there are cases where the RPE disappears and this is why the cells die. Well, we now have clinical trials where we can actually place something that are called stem cells. And these stem cells are then placed into the retina. And these stem cells can be activated to generate the RPE layer. So this is something that is just very, very, very exciting now because the stem cells are a unique type of cell that will develop into specific tissues of the body. When we are babies growing up in the womb of our mothers, we have all these stem cells, and some of these stem cells they develop into the retina. Others will develop into the RPE. Others become a heart. Others become a lung. So because with the technology, we now know that these stem cells have that ability to produce and develop into new tissue, into new cells, we are now studying very carefully if we have damage to the RPE, can we produce the RPE? If we have damage to the cone cells, let's say that you have macular degeneration or you have diabetic retinopathy and your cone cells have become damaged and your vision is blurred, we could implant stem cells in there and let's see if it will develop and create these types of cone cells to bring back the vision of clarity. For people who have retinitis pigmentosa, they don't have all the rod cells in the peripheral retina. Can we insert these stem cells 
and produce functional rod cells that will give back all of this type of peripheral vision. This is the work that's going on right now. And what's really interesting about this work with the stem cells is that years ago, years ago, it was very, very difficult to harvest stem cells. One of the only ways that the scientists were able to find and to get these stem cells were from fetuses from abortions. And that's so controversial. But we now know that there's other ways to harvest stem cells as well. We could get stem cells from other tissue, fat cells, brain cells, and this can be converted into these types of stem cells. And the stem cells are then implanted into those regions, and we then are hoping that these types of stem cells will produce functional vision and functional use for other systems of the body. So this is something that's very, very exciting and very, very hot, I would say, right now. Now, one of the things that we then also have to think about is how do we tell the stem cell to become a retina cell? How do we tell that stem cell to become the RPE or the optic nerve? How can we tell it to do that? We sure don't want that stem cell to become a lung cell and develop in our eye. That would be really disastrous. So there are different types of medication mediators and such that are used to help to make certain that that stem cell will develop into the type of cell that we want. One of the other things that's very, very important in this type of development of the cells for the eye is genes. Now, we all have heard that we have genes in our body. And these genes are very, very important because the genes are what controls the synthesis or the formation of proteins. So, in other words, when we have a gene and these genes are located inside the cells, these genes will tell the cell what type of protein to make, what type of enzyme to make, how to organize the different amino acids, and all of these different types of components are going to be involved in the formation or helping that cell to develop a particular tissue or whatever it is that it is hoping to become. So the clinical trials and other research studies have looked very, very carefully at the different genes that we have. Now, when it comes down to inherited conditions of the eye, we now know that there are many different types of genes that will contribute to different types of retinal conditions. And there are other genes that will cause other types of vision problems, such as cataracts or glaucoma, or it could be a corneal scar, or other types of eye disorders. So one of the things that is really getting a lot of research studies is the fact that retinitis pigmentosa is one of those types of disease that we know it affects children and it is controlled by an abnormal gene. For retinitis pigmentosa, there is on the order of 18 different gene mutations. We know that 18 different gene mutations may cause retinitis pigmentosa. So, if you are a person who has retinitis pigmentosa, or you have a friend who has it, one of the first things you want to do is to go and get genetic testing. And they can do genetic testing very easily and in many cases, it's free. They could actually swab the inside of your mouth, or in other cases, they'll take the blood, 
and they will determine what gene is abnormal in this particular person who has the RP. So one of the conditions that we see a lot of research on now, and there are more clinical trials on this, is that the RPE65 gene is a gene that has been found to contribute and cause retinitis pigmentosa and Leber's congenital amaurosis and also choroideremia. These are all different kinds of retinal diseases. And what they have been able to do is they are now doing clinical trials where they will insert the normal RPE65 gene into these particular eyes. And the normal RPE65 gene, it is hoped that this normal RPE65 gene will help to produce the normal protein and the normal enzymes so that the normal chemical reactions can occur in the development of these cells. And so this is something that is very, very exciting because if we find through these clinical trials that once we identify which gene is mutated or bad, we could insert a normal gene, and that will lead to the normal functioning of these cells. So this is really very, very, very exciting. And I would imagine these clinical trials will be going on for the next 10 years or so before we hear what are some of these results. But what it means is that within the next coming 5 to 10 years, I really believe, I honestly believe that there are going to be many significant treatments for many of these serious types of conditions. Now, another type of thing that is also going on is that there is a, another type of clinical trial that is studying what is called the complement factor. Now, the complement factor is basically a series of reactions that take place in the cells of the eye. And when this reaction of cells is not normal, it then contributes to other types of leakage and retinal hemorrhages. So they do have specific treatments that they are now studying to see if we could provide this treatment and it will then cause this chemical reaction to work normally. And if we find that it does work normally, then for people who have the wet macular degeneration, this is going to be a, a major, major source of improvement to vision. And I feel that it's also going to help people with the diabetic retinopathy. The other thing that I'm going to talk about before we talk about the visual aids is something that is called anti-VEGF, anti-VEGF, and that's V-E-G-F. So what we do know is that in the retina, there are situations where, <clears throat> excuse me, there may be a hemorrhage and blood is leaking in the eye. And that's really bad. We don't like that. When the blood is leaking, there is something called the vascular, meaning like blood vessel, endothelial, that's a part of a cell growth factor. And when the vascular endothelial growth factors are then released, it causes blood vessels to grow in the retina. And when there's more and more blood vessels that are growing and more and more blood vessels that are bleeding, that's terrible for the eye's vision. So we now have different types of medications that are called anti-VEGF. And so when doctors now see that a person has a hemorrhage in the eye, they could inject this medication in the eye and it stops the bleeding. 
So this is something that is really very, very, very exciting. Now, for some of these patients, they may have to get an injection of this once every month. For other people, it might be every other month. But the clinical trials are now trying to find, are there ways of producing the anti-VEGF? Wouldn't it be great for these people who have a lot of blood hemorrhaging in their retina that their eye will produce their own anti-VEGF? In other words, what that means, these people will not have to go in and get these types of shots. So these are just a few of the very, very encouraging clinical trial studies that you may look into or talk to your retina or your ophthalmologist about. The last thing I'd like to talk about in the last 10 minutes relate to some of the other types of technological developments with vision. There are many really, really amazing developments in terms of low vision devices. And one of the things that is very, very popular now are called smart glasses. Now, these smart glasses, they are basically glasses that consist of a very small, high-definition camera. And instead of looking through the lenses, there are little screens that you will look at. And when you look through the screen, it's going to be just like you're looking at television. You could magnify the image of what you're looking at. You could increase the contrast level. You could decrease the brightness, increase the brightness. And this is something that allows people who have very, very low vision to see things that they haven't seen in years. People are able to read People were able to play sports. I saw a, a film clip. There was a, a basketball player. His name was Dikembo Mutombo. Many of you might know him, but he was about seven foot six from Africa. And he's a great ping pong player. And there's a, a, a film clip of him playing ping pong with a person who has these glasses on. And this person is beating him playing ping pong with these particular types of glasses. With these particular types of glasses, people are doing things that they never dreamed they would be able to do. They use them when they walk. They use them if they're cooking, if they're working on the computer, they're reading, they're writing. Any particular type of task that they want to do, they are able to use these types of smart glasses and they are functioning extremely well. Now, there are primarily, at the present time, different classifications of these types of smart glasses. The first level that I'm going to talk about are for people who still have some vision. And the top two that I have actually had the pleasure of working with are, number one, the eSight glasses, and number two, the new eyes. Now, the eSight glasses have been very, very successful throughout the world. They have actually had things that are equivalent to clinical trials. And this is very important because not all visual aids will go through any particular type of investigation and such. But these glasses have been actually dispensed by about 2,000 people now are wearing these eSight glasses. And with these glasses, you put them on, they're lightweight, they're very comfortable. And with the eSight glasses, one of the things that my patients have stated is that they like the fact that they still have a lot of peripheral vision where the person could use their regular vision. And this allows them to walk with the glasses on. The other thing is that the field of view when they're looking into the glasses is also very large. It's about 37 degrees. Now, you might wonder, how does that compare? My optometrist showed me a telescope, and everything was large and clear I could see, but I couldn't see a wide enough area of it. 
that's because these telescopes that you often are going to see through, they may have a visual field of about 8 to 10 degrees, whereas the eSight glasses field of view is about three times larger. So this is one of the, of the devices that's very, very popular. And in fact, this year they lowered their price, and the price now is about $10,000. Now you might say, wow, gosh, that is so much. It is a lot. But in terms of what type of benefit that you get from it, it is very, very effective, very beneficial. Now, another very popular device is called the New Eyes Glasses. This functions the same way. You put on the glasses, you look through the little screens there, there's a camera, and it's also going to do the same thing of increasing the magnification, the contrast, you could change the colors and such. This particular system is around $5,000, and it's about half the price. And what we have done is that rather than recommending one for our patients or the other, we have actually just set up an appointment where they could try them side by side. And without telling them the prices, just let them experience it first and to see which one that they like better. It, it's very, 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 very surprising, the results that we have seen. But I will tell you this. Every person, every person who has tried these glasses on has stated that they could see much better than they could without them. So in other words, if they all could receive these glasses for free, every one of them would take it for free. And some of the things that we are now trying to work on, we are now trying to work on seeing whether we could get insurances and Medicare and Medicaid to pay for this for people with low vision. Now, there's another series of smart glasses. And these other series of smart glasses, they do not necessarily require that you have vision. Now, with these particular types of smart glasses, you put the glasses on, and the camera sends a signal of what the picture is to the offices of the company. And there, people in the office will tell you what they see on the screen. So for a person like me, I have tried these glasses. The one that I tried was the AIRA era. It was really so surprising. I put the glasses on, and then there's earbuds that go in my ear, and then a person talks to me. Hello, Dr. Bill. How are you? I'm doing fine. What do you see? And they started to describe for me everything that they saw there. I said, this is fantastic. They said, well, what would you like to do? I said, well, I would like to leave this particular store, and I want to walk through the mall. Okay, I will give you the instructions, and so all that you need to do is to listen to what I say, and if you want to stop me, you could tell me to stop. And it was something that was really very, very, very beneficial. So in other words, this gives people who are totally blind another tool that they could use to become more independent. I know I have seen many people who have low vision and they can walk incredibly well with a cane, but I, I cannot do it. I, I do walk by myself with a cane, but there's a lot of times I'm saying to people, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to trip you, or I, I get lost, or I get stuck, or something. So this is one of them. With this particular type of service with AIRA, there are different plans available, and you could talk to them, and they will tell you how much it would cost to obtain a certain amount of minutes with their people being on and talking to you. Now, if you don't want to pay that much, there's also another particular company that has something called Be My Eyes. And with Be My Eyes, 
they have volunteers who volunteer to tell you what they see. So this is a, a more affordable type of alternative. But what I also have to tell you, just last in closing, is that there's many, many changes in the technology coming up. We know that with the two glasses I talked about first, the eSight and the new eyes, they are developing technology that will also be able to read books aloud for you. It will also be able to identify objects and people, and it does not have to use a human being to tell you what they see. This is some of that really high-level object recognition, and uh, some of you may know of the application from Microsoft that has that ability to identify things now. And the last thing is that we, we have heard last week about the new iPhone that's going to be released, so this is even more technology. So all in all, what I have to say is that there has never been a time better than today to be visually impaired because we have all of the technology, more technology, more intelligence going into this than ever before. So if any of you have any questions, uh, I'd like to take a few questions. And I know we have a lot of other people who are on the call that are very, very knowledgeable and uh, I, I, I may be calling on you to answer some of these questions because a lot of you know more about this stuff than I do. Does anybody have any questions? Dr. Bill, I assume, once again, with the guys like me, the optic nerve. Yeah, the question is, what if you do have an optic nerve problem? Is there a lot of work that's being done to try to regenerate the optic nerve? I am not familiar with any clinical trials that I have read regarding that. However, Second Sight, which is a company in Silmar, they do have now a pair of smart glasses that you wear, and the camera sends a signal directly to an electrical chip that they put in your occipital lobe of the brain. So in essence, you don't need to have eyes and you don't need to have an optic nerve, and you can regain some vision with this particular type of retinal, excuse me, it's a, a occipital implant. And that's by Second Sight in Silmar. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's uh, bypassing all the other. <laughs> yes, so you get the highest level of signal possible. Bill, have you heard any uh, uh, new developments with the treatment of uveitis? Oh, gosh. You know, I know there's a lot of clinical trials. There's over, I think, 17,000 clinical trials right now. And as far as new anti-inflammatory medications for uveitis, I am quite certain that there's a lot going on. What I'll do, Tom, I will look into that specific thing there for you, okay? Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Yes. So for those of you who may not be aware, uveitis, it's a condition where the uveal tract, which provides blood to the eye, it becomes inflamed, and, and it can be painful, too. Any other questions? A genetic testing question? Yes, please. Uh, Edward in Rochester, um, I did get the mouth swish uh, with the scope mouthwash, and... I will be seeing my retinal specialist uh, next month. <clears throat> um, I understand that some of the testing is helped uh, helped if you can have uh, close relatives also do the test. Uh, my parents are gone, and I have no siblings, and uh, our aunts and uncles are all gone. Oh. Am I at a disadvantage, or can they still give me useful information? Yes, they will still be able to give you useful information. If they find out that you do have a specific gene mutation that is one of those that they are working on, then you would still be able to participate in that clinical trial, which would be very good. Another question? 
Dr. Bill, this is Mary Lou uh, from Los Angeles. I have been looking for an eye doctor for uh, low vision eval and also to get me fitted for glasses. And here there is no CPS, and I need to know where I can go. Yes, that's a great question. Unfortunately, the Center for the Partially Sighted, which was one of the first low vision centers available in Los Angeles, they went bankrupt. I I would say that in Los Angeles, there are a few very good places you could go. Number one, there is a Dr. Angela Shahady. Okay. S-H-I-H-A-D-Y. Okay. And she is in Eagle Rock. If you send me an email, I will send you a list of doctors that still do low vision. And my email is Dr. Bill, D-R-B-I-L-L, foundation at gmail.com. And if any of you have any other questions and you want to ask me these questions privately, uh, you could send me an email and I will I will find the answers for you. Okay, great. Yeah, um, Wayne Hoft in Burbank does some low vision, and the uh, MB Ketchum School of Optometry does it, but that's in Orange County, and the UCLA Jules Stein Eye Institute. Doctor Doctor Jenny Kageyama K A G E Y A M A. So uh, it's it's unfortunate. We're we're trying to get this up and rolling again with low vision. Any other questions? Uh, oh, this is Lynn again. Uh, I don't have a question, but I do have a comment uh, yeah. on the e-site that you were talking about. Uh, I have. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, it's like ten thousand dollars, and there's a. Uh, it, it's not as good, okay, uh, it, but it uses the virtual reality glasses or goggles that you can buy for like fifteen bucks, and you put your smartphone in, and uh, there's an app, and there's an app that uh, I, I've been using that allows me to see PowerPoints when I'm at a conference, which. I couldn't see before, and it's not as good as the east side. I mean, it's not the $10,000 one, but for the poor person, it it can be useful. Wow, yeah. Can you share that info? I've never I've never heard of it. Oh, uh, yeah. The virtual reality glasses, it started out as a gaming thing, uh, but then some people figured out that, well, gosh, my smartphone has a pretty good um, camera on it. You know, I, I could really zoom in. I could do a lot of wonderful things with it. So they built those goggles with uh, the camera part exposed, and you load your camera in, you, you launch the uh, the app. And uh, then the one that I'm using right now, it uh, can increase um, quite a bit. It can also do the uh, color reversal, you know, if you want um, dark on white or white on dark, that type of thing. And there's various other types of um, filters it has. And uh, it, it's quite good for the person that can't afford 5000 or 10000 Yeah, really? So, Lynn, what is the name of the application and uh, what is the name of the goggles that you got? Okay, the name of the application is Supervision, one word, Cardboard. And the word Cardboard is out there because they're using Google Cardboard. Google Cardboard was the first iteration of this particular glasses oh. for the for the person that can't afford that much. You could get Google Cardboard for like five bucks on Amazon, and uh, that particular app you could get it on the uh, Google Play Store. I'm pretty sure that uh, iPhone has it also. Supervision Cardboard. Yeah, Supervision Cardboard. Gosh, that's great. And it's free. That's the right. App is, the app is free. And 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 the goggles, you you get them at the order them in the same place. Uh, you could uh, probably get it at Best Buy or Fry's. Uh, that'd probably be more expensive. Um, or you can get it on Amazon. Uh, the thing that you have to make sure about is that 
there's an area that is open for the camera to see through. Oh, okay. Okay. Because it will be using your smartphone camera. Now, uh, the smartphones that are, have the better um, or the larger number of pixels, you know, the better cameras like uh, the Samsung S8, uh, the iPhone 8 that just came out, um, I'm using an LG G6. Those have higher resolution. It works very, very well. Uh, if you have a lower resolution camera like a Moto G4, it, it still works, but not as well. Wow. Man, this is really helpful information. I didn't even know about that. That's great. So uh, essentially under $50, a person might be able to get a system going. Oh, easily, easily. Uh, the pair of goggles that I bought at Fry's uh, a couple of weeks ago was $30, and it also came with a game controller, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to play a game. Yeah, that's great. Does anybody have any other questions for Lynn about this? This is, sounds, man, that sounds really great. Oh, I mean, I could just imagine going to the zoo, right? You could see all the animals and, geez. <laughs> yes. Okay, thank you, Lynn. That's really sure. helpful. Uh, the new iOS. For the iPhone? Yeah, for the iPhone. It's compatible from uh, iPhone 5S and up. iOS 11 is already ready. I've already downloaded it. It's already downloading today. Ah, excellent. That's the latest one. Art, is that Art? Yes, yes iOS 11 is already download, available for downloading right now. Okay. Well, I want to ask the question, what's the very important benefits of downloading this new version. What what would I expect to gain from this new version? It was, it was basically for the new phones, but it's available for obviously the older phones too. And and, and the iPads too, so Oh, okay. Well if if your phone crashes then you gotta call us all and let us know don't download it, okay? <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right, well I wanna thank all of you for participating this evening. And I believe, um, Richard, can you fill me in or confirm the next month's topic will be on emergencies? I think it's going to be emergency preparedness. Uh, that's going to be a good one. We all need to know that. Look forward to seeing all of you next month. So good night, everybody.